believe everybody had a, a marvelous Christmas to spend time with their families and maybe some friends. Um, it's a great time to be together. And a great time to be together this morning as well. So before I begin uh, my lesson this morning, let us have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come to you this first day of the week to sing songs of praise and glory and remembrance, to hear a passage from your scripture, and to hear a lesson that will help us become better Christians from this point forward. Do the sermon this morning as he proclaims your message. Be with those who are in his hearing. Uh, may you be with us now and forevermore. For this I say in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so the reading that Lydia led this morning, um, we learn, I think, some powerful truths, I think, that God wants us to know, while at the same time contrasting himself with some Babylonian gods, some chief gods, Bel and Nebo. And I want to share four truths we can learn from the scripture, four truths. The first is, God speaks. God speaks speaks. In verse 3, we hear that God says, listen to me. Listen to me. And it says, why do we wonder about this truth more often? Although God could be silent, he is not. See, God speaks to his people. See, God wants to be known. He wants us to know him, whereas the Babylonian gods were mute. They were silent. See, God speaks. God speaks to his people. And so since the beginning of the world, since the creation of the world, God has spoken to humankind. He has spoken to men in various ways. He has speaking, he's spoken to us through his creation. And though God speaks to us through his creation, he does not simply create the world and then hide, leaving it for us to figure things out and to figure our place out in the world. Yet rather from the beginning, God took the initiative. He took the initiative to reveal himself, his ways, and his purposes, amen? Yeah. His purposes. He spoke to Adam, as you know, as he walked in the garden. Later, he spoke to Moses from the burning bush, and then again on Mount Sinai, he spoke to the prophets, in the past. And he spoke to the apostles through the Spirit of God. And he speaks to us today. He, the, the apostles wrote the words down so they might pass from generation to generation. Remember though, in all this, God is the one who takes the initiative. Not us, but God takes the initiative. We all know the passage in in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? All scripture is God-breathed or given at the inspiration of God. And why? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we, the people of God, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, God speaks to us today, right, through his spirit. And God is the one who speaks he reveals himself, his character, his purpose, and his plan. Amen? The Babylonians' gods could not do that. Again, they were silent. 
They were mute. They could not speak. But from the beginning, when God speaks to his people, he always points to a redeemer. He always points to that sinless redeemer that can reconcile God and man. And that redeemer, as you know, is Jesus Christ. God speaks. That's the first truth. The second truth we learn from this passage in Isaiah is God creates. God makes. God builds. God creates. Whereas the Babylonian idols were formed and fashioned by man's hands out of materials that were already made, already created, already in existence, God, on the other hand, created, if you will, ex nihilo, right? Out of nothing. When that term from a preacher, from a professor back in seminary, right? Ex nihilo, out of nothing. That's how God creates. He speaks and he creates. See, he, God, is an endless power of creativity. And in a sense, we as human beings get our power and creativity from God. We are, in a sense, co-creators. Never solo like God, but we build and we create their creative minds given to us by God in his character. But never out of nothing. Never ex nihilo. We build and create because God's given us the ability to create and build. But never independent like God. So God, in the beginning, existed. He lacked nothing in himself. Yet chose to create the world and everything in it. Why? Why would a God who needs nothing create something? Why would he do that? I think we have some answers here. And when you read the word create, I think in the scriptures, in this sense, it's only used in conjunction with God. But if you look at his nature and his character from Psalms 19, I think that provides an insight in why God created humankind, why he created the earth, why he created the universe, indicating that at least the part God created in a way to demonstrate his glory through the things that he has made. God created to demonstrate his glory. And in a sense, what is the pinnacle of God's creation? I think human beings, humankind are the pinnacle, the crown jewel, if you will, of God's creation. Because we are created in his character, in his likeness. He did it to demonstrate his glory. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the handiness or the handiwork of the work of his hands. God creates to demonstrate his glory. So in the creation, I had three quick points. Number one, there's an order in creation. There's an order in creation. So one aspect we see is God brings order to chaos. Pretty much like my profession in law enforcement, right? We bring order, to some extent, to chaos. Without order, things would be screwed up, the confusion, the anarchy. But God brings order to chaos. So God took which was without form and empty and void and gave it form and substance. He gave it something. But the important thing to remember is that, in a sense, God is distinct from his creation. Although we see God in creation, he is distinct. He is apart from creation. Um, although 
important factor is this. I love that he's a part, he is distinct, because he is involved with his creation. He's involved with nature. He's involved with the universe. He's involved with you. He's involved with me. He didn't simply create a world, wind it up like a top, start it spinning, and then walk away. Although some believe that, I do not. I don't believe it either. He's intimately involved with his creation. You see this with his relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walks with them in the garden. And God is involved in your life and in my life. He created us for a purpose. What is that purpose? You and I might have different purposes. I mean, the purpose is we reach out to him. Praise him and glorify him. Or number two, power. We see power in God's creation. When we create as human beings, it takes some effort, right? It takes some work to create a daily or a desk or a house or an industry. Even human beings, it takes effort to create. But with God, he did not labor, he did not toil, like some arduous word. He just spoke, and it was. He just says it, and it is. He simply spoke the world into being. And by his powerful word that he spoke it into being, by that same powerful word, he sustains the world. We'll touch on that a little later. But the word spoken into existence, and by the same word, it's being sustained. Third aspect of the creation is holiness. We see holiness, his holiness in creation, as seen in the creation of light and darkness. Light and darkness. So God, throughout the scripture, contrasts light and darkness to symbolize what? Good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil. Let's look at a quick word picture, if you will, from 1 John chapter 5. He says, Now this is the message we have heard from him who declared to you, God is light. God is light. In him there's absolutely no darkness. No darkness at all. God is light. See, God's power, his intimate involvement with creation, his goodness should motivate us. To live in submission to him. Amen. You see God's goodness, his power, he took the initiative, his creation to motivate us to serve him, to glorify him. So God creates, God speaks, and the third truth, my favorite, you see, is that God carries or God sustains. Right? He holds things together. We are carried. By God from birth to death, right? from the womb to the tomb. This is a way that God sustains us every single day of our lives. You know, there's never a godless season in our lives. It may seem like it to us that God is not present or God is not here, but we know that God is there, but He carries us, He sustains us. There's never a godless season in our lives, but his faithfulness extends to every man 
in every woman, in every child. His faithfulness extends to each and every one of us, no matter how hard or difficult, because God is the one who sustains. Now, we think we sustain ourselves by our jobs, by our parents, by everybody, by income. We think we do it all ourselves. But you know it, and I know it, is God is the one who sustains us. God is the one who carries us, amen? Not ourselves. Although he's given us talents, right, and gifts to create wealth, to do great things. But again, it's all from God. God is always in the position of carrier or sustainer, never being carried like the Babylonian gods, like they did right this morning. They're, they're carried on the shoulders. They are being carried. They carry their gods. They carry their idols. On the other hand, in contrast, God carries us. He carries his people. In a sense, the Babylonians carry their idols into captivity, into bondage. God, on the other hand, carries his people into righteousness, into salvation, the exact opposite. Paul puts it this way, in Christ, all things hold together. In Christ, all things hold together. And that's in the perfect tense. Christ is holding things together. He continues to hold all things together. He continues to sustain. He continues to carry. What would happen if Christ failed to hold all things together? The world and the universe would crumble and be destroyed. It would all be gone. It would fall apart. It would fall apart. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. The sun, meaning Jesus Christ, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. All things are pulled together by the word of God. All things are pulled, held together by Jesus Christ. Christ holds all things together by his word. In the same way the world, as I said earlier, was created, the world is being sustained by that same spoken word. Christ is the one who keeps the earth spinning on its axis. Christ is the one who holds all things together. Christ is the one that keeps the nations of the earth from destroying each other. Christ Hold all things together. He's the one who keeps things running. You believe that? He keeps things running. Christ is the battery. Christ is the power. And at the same time, Christ is the power switch. Amen. He is everything. While Israel was in the wilderness and God fed them a manna, he said this. He humbled you causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, but neither you nor your fathers had known. And why? To teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Amen? That's how we are sustained, by every word that comes from God. God provided that manna every day. 
every day from heaven. So they would know that it was not by their strength that they were being sustained, but they were being sustained not by the sun, not by the rain, not by the Egyptians, but they were being sustained by the word of God. Amen. And God is still sustaining us today by that same exact word. He is our sustainer. There's something important for us to understand with regard to God provides. I think it's that before, but not our parents, not our jobs, or anything else. The scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from above. King James. Remember Hillary Duffner? Of course, you know Hillary Duffner. For years, when he was sitting in church, I would ask him, Hey, Hillary, how are you doing? How are things going? How are you doing? And he always would do this. Always point up to the Lord. Meaning that God is sustaining us. Everything is great because God is in control. The power switch is continuing to be activated by Jesus Christ. And again, this, because every good and perfect thing comes from God, this is why we exalt him. This is why we praise him. Paul puts it this way. And he, meaning Jesus Christ, not served by human hands as if he needed anything else, because he himself gives all men life, all men breath, and all men everything else. He gives us everything we need. Of those challenges in our lives, God gives those things. Let me give you an example. Some of the elders know, and some of you members know as well. About 10 days ago, I had a fire in my breaker box at my home. I had to cut off my power to emergency cut off with Austin Energy. I have no power for the last 11, 12 days. So I'm going to live again. I got a hotel for a couple of days because the insurance company apparently they denied my claim. Expensive to replace the breaker box, apparently, and the hotel stays. But I'm fighting that. But that's not the point. The point is this. Valerie, being the great person that she is, develops friendships all over the neighborhood. On Tuesday, before our neighbor would leave to go to El Paso, she offered her house for us to stay in until she gets back on Wednesday. And we took her up on that offer. The point is, God provides. Does he not? We need a place to stay, and even Gary offered us this place as well. But this was right across the street. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, God does provide. We're least expected. And we're thankful for that. And again, Christ is still sustaining every man and every woman today. And so we must exalt Jesus Christ as first and foremost in our lives. As he does provide. The Bible compares us, as you know, to sheep, and God as the shepherd. Right? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But it's tough, isn't it? We always want something. We always need something. But God is our shepherd. He will provide for us. We shouldn't worry. Although we do. Not worrying. It's tough not to worry. But don't worry because God will provide for us. He will do so in the future as well. I mean, He may have not provide the way we want, but He will provide nonetheless. Amen. You can be simple in your own life how God has provided for you. 
He will provide. He is our sustainer. Christ protects us. He feeds us. He opens doors for us. He gives us gifts and talents to serve him and other people. He will provide. He gives us friends, life, and breath. And here's one we don't like, but he gives us trials as well. He gives us challenging time in our lives. And why does he do that? He does us not to hinder us, but to help us. He does it so that we can be strengthened and reach out to him. We still give thanks to the trials and tribulations in our lives because he is our sustainer. God speaks, God creates, God sustains. And our final truth from Isaiah 46 is this. God saves. God saves. Not only did God contrast himself with the Babylonian God by their carrying abilities, he also did it by their saving abilities. The Babylonian idols were carried, like I said earlier, by the Babylonians and led them into captivity. God carries his people and leads them into salvation. In every generation of our lives, he leads us to salvation. But don't we have idols in our own lives sometimes that we think will carry us to a better place? Whatever that idol might be, money, jobs, people. But we learn that when we depend on those things, they lead us deeper and deeper into captivity, do they not? Those idols we carry on us with ourselves and lead us into increasing captivity. God, on the other hand, still holds out salvation to those who turn to his son Jesus and trust in him for their salvation. Amen. We turn to Jesus like we all have for our salvation. Let's look at a, a picture of salvation. In the days before the flood, God warned the vast civilizations of the world that judgment would come in about 120 years. Noah and his three sons, all of whom, all of whom knew God and followed God, were asked to build a great ark, a big giant boat, by means of which their family and animals could be saved from the great deluge of water that soon covered the earth. Noah is called, in the New Testament, a preacher of righteousness. Noah did more than build an ark. He was, if you will, the first worldwide coast-to-coast -coast evangelist. Right? He truly preached the word. He had a full century right, to plead with humankind. Listen, turn away from the evil ways, turn to God, and join me in this great boat. So we can all be saved. As we know, Noah was the subject of ridicule and scorn, right? As he built a huge boat on dry land, <clears throat> far from water, where it never rained before. But as you know, God means what he says and says what he means. And we know that the flood came, right? Entire generations were destroyed, but eight were safe. Eight were safe in the great waterproof container. Right? And they were told to what? Rebuild, repopulate the earth. Right? 
the ark, right? A beautiful picture of salvation, a beautiful picture of God saving his people. God saving those who trust in him and trust in his promises and act on them. Right? God promises us certain things. We act on them and we escape judgment and are given a whole new life. A whole new life. In every period of history, under every covenant, God always saved his people on the basis of their faith and their trust in him. Apart from works, apart from merit, apart from anything that we do, we're saved on the basis of God. God saves. So the four truths we learn from Isaiah 4, God speaks, he is not silent. God carries or sustains, he holds all things together in Christ. God creates, he demonstrates his power and glory. And finally, God saves. He saves those who put their faith and their trust in him. God is our everything. The message is yours. If there's any need of an invitation or a song, let us know. Thank you.